0: As I turn to the Word of God, I'm going to turn to Psalm 115, Psalm 115. We'll read together the entire psalm and read God's Word as follows. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smile. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who who go down into silence. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So far reading God's holy word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the beginning of a of a new year. It's natural for us to look back, what happened in the past year, and to look forward to the the new year. When we look back, we remember what happened to us in the past year, and we look forward to the new year, we wonder, what does the future really hold for us? We may look back in the past year with thankfulness for the many blessings the Lord has given us, but we also may have to deal with the fact there were many disappointments, and we had to deal with many troubles The reality is that life has its ups and downs, there are these lows and there are highs in our lives, there are joys and there are disappointments. And those experiences can also impact the way we think about going forward in the new year. The disappointments of the past year may mean that we look to the new year with anxiety and we worry that perhaps the bad things or the disappointments of the past year will continue into the new year. Or if we look at the past year and the past year was a good year for us, we might expect that that will continue on and we'll have a good year also in the new year. So the question we have this morning is, so how do we put the events in our life into a proper perspective? Or maybe more basically, how do we make sense out of our daily lives? And That's really the question that all of mankind struggles with. How do we make sense out of out of this life when there's so much that happens in this world and so much that happens in our lives that, that seem to be senseless? How do you make sense out of a senseless war such as happen, is taking place today in, in Ukraine, where a neighbor nation, a neighbor a nation, decides that they want to take over another nation? How do you make sense out of a society where there's rising crime and violence, even though the chatter and the talk is more about being tolerant of one another? And the more we hear that talk, the more crime and violence seems uh, to rise. How do you make sense out of inflation uh, that uh, has caused so much uncertainty and that has made it more and more difficult to, to even afford the very basics of our daily lives? When we look back at the uncertainty of the past year, then how do you look forward to the new year? How do you process that in your own hearts, in your own minds? Do we then just hope against hope that maybe things, this new year is going to be a better year? Do we just hope that things are going to change for the better in the coming months? You know, from a human perspective, as we look forward to the future, mankind really doesn't have any answers as to how we should process the the, the new year. We know that our political leaders, they promise us that things are going to get better this year. Every politician will promise that they're going to build us a better world. And yet the reality is that many of the solutions only, their solutions only make matters worse. And you wonder why. Why can mankind not make this world a better place? And the answer is simply this, we as human beings, we're finite. We're finite, that means we, we're limited in what we can do, in our power, and our strength. We're even limited in our wisdom and our understanding, so we're not even able to fully understand how things work. And when we understand, too, that human logic is darkened by sin, then you understand that all human logic, as the Scripture says, is foolish. But we may praise the Lord that as Christian believers, the Lord has given to us a new perspective or a different perspective on our lives. And because of the perspective that the Lord God gives to us in His Holy Word, we have confidence for the future. And we have confidence for the future, not because we think somehow that things in the new year is going to get better, but because we know that the Lord, our God, he is the sovereign, sovereign God who rules over all things from his place there in heaven. Our greatest joy is that this world is not just drifting aimlessly from year to, to year, no, we have a God who is directing all things to his glorious purpose. Everything, everything in our life, everything in this world, beloved, rests in the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that we can endure the ups and the downs. That's why we can deal with the joys, but also with the disappointments. Because we can have trust. We trust that we have the Lord God in heaven and that he is a God who will bless us. We know by faith that everything in this world, everything in our lives must serve to the, very glory, to the glorious goal of our God. And so living by faith simply means this, beloved. It means that you trust that your whole life rests in the hands of your living God. Now, therefore, you're not just drifting uh, through 2022. You did not just drift through 2022, and, you're not, and you will not just be drifting aimlessly uh, through the new year 2023 either. Now, also here in this new year, we give our life in the service of our God. We give our life to his praise and to his glory. And so this morning, we'll listen to God's word under this theme, hallelujah. And hallelujah simply is the Hebrew word for praise the Lord. Hallelujah, trust the Lord, for he is our help and shield. Under that theme, we'll look at four things. First of all, God's glory, our trust, God's blessing, and our praise. When we turn our attention to this uh, psalm, the psalmist really is dealing with the question of how do we navigate uh, through your daily life? Do you try to face the challenges in your life and your own strength? Do you allow the earthly things, the material things of this life, to become the idols that you use to try to make your life work? Or... Do you put your trust in the Lord God in heaven as the God who will be there for you and who will protect your life? You see, the heart of this psalm, you can say, is found in verses 9 through 11. where The psalmist commands us to put our trust in the Lord. The psalmist commands us to look to the Lord God for everything in our life. For he knows while we as human beings, we are powerless, that our living God is powerful and that he can do all things. And so as the psalmist commands us, he says, Put your trust in the Lord, for the Lord alone is worthy of all glory. So you notice how he begins the psalm. He begins with these words. He says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. So you notice already at the very beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is setting the mood by declaring that only God is worthy of of glory in this world. Not us. Not we human beings. We're not worthy of glory. But Lord, you, you alone, are worthy of glory. Those opening words, they immediately help us to understand that our relationship with the Lord God is one in which we may never, as human beings, we may never take glory for ourselves. The glory only belongs To the Almighty God. So, as you read these words in verse 1, they remind us of the time that the Lord appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, which we read together after Moses uh, had um, created the the two stone tablets and brought them before the Lord on, on the mountain for the second time, where the Lord appears to Moses. Then God passes before Moses and he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, The first thing you need to notice here, both in the Psalm and in Exodus 34, is that the Lord is spelled here in all capital letters in our English translations. It translates the name by which God has revealed himself to Israel as their personal God, the name Yahweh. And by repeating his name twice, the Lord reveals how great and how holy his name is. And we're reminded of what are we, mankind, in comparison to the Almighty God. We, we, we are so tiny. We're so powerless compared to God's greatness. And the psalmist goes on, and he he also points out, and he says, But the reason that we then give glory to the Lord God is why is because the Lord God, because of God's love and because of God's faithfulness. Yes, the Lord our God is infinitely greater, he's more powerful than, than we, weak human beings are. And yet, beloved the Almighty God, what does he do? The Lord comes to us, and he comes to his people, Israel. And he says to them, he says, I am the Lord your God. I am the God who has made you my very own people. Imagine the holy God lives in the heavens, who comes down to his people. And why does he come down to them? them? Well, the psalmist says, because of his love for them. You see, the Hebrew uses a word that is connected to God's covenant love talk about God's covenant. We talk about the fact that God entered into a relationship with the people of Israel. And why does he enter into that relationship with Israel? It's not because they loved him. It's not because somehow Israel deserved God's love. Well, the reason God enters into a relationship with his people is because he saw their miserable situation. He saw that they were hopelessly lost in this world. And so what does he do? He takes compassion upon them and he loves them with his whole heart. Beloved, that is the incredible message that God gives in his word. That's the gospel message. That word love sometimes is also translated to as steadfast love. The reason it's translated that way is because when God reveals his love, God's love is not a fickle love. That's not love that's here one moment and all of a sudden disappears the next moment. No, God's love is steadfast. It is, it is never wavering. And while so often as God's people know we become unfaithful to the Lord our God, yet the Lord God is a God who remains faithful always. Even when the people of Israel uh, rebels against the Lord God, and there's so often in their history, throughout the Old Testament, we read it time and again how they turned away from the Lord God. And yet, what does the Lord God do? In his steadfast love, he continues to call his people back to himself. Oh, yes, there are times when God became angry with his children. Time when God's jealousy was aroused when his children, when his people spurned his love, to the point where he even needs to chastise them and punish them. And yet when, his, when the people turn back again to them in their desperation, what does the Lord God do in his compassion, the Lord turns, the Lord receives them again into his loving embrace. No beloved, we do not deserve any glory anything that we are able to even achieve in our life is only a result of God's faithfulness towards us. Right? The people of Israel, they have experienced the wonderful love and the faithfulness of God in their history. He is the God who protected them from their enemies. He is the one who delivered them from Egypt when they were hopelessly lost the, on the verge of being completely wiped off the face of the earth. He is the God who came and provided for them wonderfully there in the wilderness where there was no food and where there was no drink. He gave them the promised land of Canaan by destroying those powerful nations in the land. And there in the promised land, he blessed them so wonderfully. So why, the psalmist asks, so why do the nations say, where is their God? The, the the nations are the heathen nations. They are the pagans. These are the unbelieving people. The psalmist says that they mock God's people. Right? And they did it very long ago in the Old Testament. And, and they still do it today when people mock our God. And they mock our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, this is the reason the psalm begins, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. As God's people, we we are looking We're not looking for our glory, but we want the Lord. We want our God to receive all the glory. That means we also want all mankind, also the peoples of the nations, to give all the glory to God. Why? Because God alone is worthy of that glory. So why? Why do the unbelieving mock the Lord our God, the psalmist asks? Perhaps we should ask it a little bit differently. Why do we? Why do we, beloved, as believers? Why is that so often we cringe because of the unbelievers, of the unbelievers who, mock, uh, who mock our faith in Christ, and somehow we so often we, we hide our faith, or we hide in a corner, and we keep very quiet about our faith. Look, the psalmist says in verse three. He says, "You know, our God is in the heaven." He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. So you notice the unbelieving world that they mock God's people because we put our trust in Yahweh. Here the psalmist is there. what does he do? He turns it around and the psalmist mocks the very gods of the unbelieving. The psalmist basically says, how do the unbelieving, how do you dare to mock the God of Israel when, when your own gods are idols? Idols of silver and gold, made by human hands. And you notice that that imagery is found in many different places throughout the Old Testament, where the prophets will mock the idols of the nations. And so here the psalmist mocks the idols that the people of the world they mock that they worship. They make these idols. Oh, they take great care making them. They make them with great affection. They give them mouths but they cannot speak. They give them these beautiful eyes, but they're not able to see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They give them noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. In fact, the psalmist says, they cannot even utter a sound, not even a guttural noise that comes from their throats. Now, the psalmist knows that these images that are created by the unbelieving are representations of their gods. But he also knows that these representations, they reveal that their gods are but imaginations of the people's very own thoughts. And so he says this. In conclusion, he says, Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Think about it. What are the pagans doing? Pagans make their gods in their own image. Beloved, their gods reflect the nature of mankind. What do you hear when you read God's word in the very beginning of Genesis? In the very beginning of Scripture, scripture, God already reveals to us that he created us in his image. Mankind, What does mankind do? Mankind now creates their gods in their own human image. Their gods reflect their own, their own human desires. While the Lord God of Israel is in heaven, and there in heaven he does whatever pleases him. And so what does man do? Man makes gods and they makes idols to serve themselves. While the Lord God is the omnipotent God who has created heaven and earth to reflect his glory. Man's idols are created to serve humans, but the Lord God, who is the creator, is served and worshipped by his creatures, by, his crea- by us as his creation. And so, beloved, your relationship with God will also determine how you think about the Lord God in your heart, in your mind. If you create God in your own image, you make God into the kind of God that you want God to be, and then you expect God to also serve you. Fulfill what you want. But if you see the Lord God as your creator, independent of his creation, independent of you, then you will also give to him all the honor and the glory because you know it belongs to him alone. And, And then our attitude and our relationship with God is no longer about what God can do for me and how God can fulfill my desires and my wants, reflecting me. No, when I recognize God's glory then I will look to see how I can serve and honor my God. Then it's not my glory, but, Lord, it is to your glory and your glory alone. Beloved, have you ever realize that when you give God the glory, then something happens. Something happens in your heart. See, being a believer is not just about believing the right things. But believing God and putting your trust in God and giving glory to God means that there is something that impacts what lives there deep inside of you, deep in your heart. And the first thing that happens when you give glory to God is that you begin to trust the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole life. What a contrast the psalm makes between trusting the Lord God and trusting the idols of the gods of the world. See, the gods of the world, they're fickle gods. They're just as fickle, if not more fickle, uh, than the people they represent. People look up to their gods to serve them, but their gods really don't care about them. Their gods are just too busy fulfilling their own needs, just as human beings are busy fulfilling their own needs because, after all, these idols are, image, are made in the image of human beings. Idols, beloved, when you think about idols, what are they? Well, idols are the things that you set your heart on. Idols are the things that, that, that you trust will be able to, to serve you and give you the things that you really crave and that you really think you need in your life. That means your, your idol can be your money as if your money is going to give you the security that you really want and need in your life your idol can be your power the ability to be able to manipulate uh, other people to give you what you want your idol can be fame in which you want to receive glory uh, from from others your idol can be an addiction it can be any kind of, of addiction whether it be alcohol drugs whether it be pornography or, or even food addictions or other kinds of addictions And what you need to understand is that what what is true about all these idols is that we expect our idols to do what? To satisfy the needs that we have in our own life. You see, idol worship in all of its forms is always about how does my idol satisfy my desires? And to trust them is to expect that my idols will fulfill the deepest needs in my life. And it will fulfill also the deepest desires in my soul. And the reality, beloved, is that the material things of this life, the idols of this world, are not able to do that. It cannot satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. That's why the psalmist then commands us to trust in the Lord. It talks with three categories all Israelites. And he talks also about the house of Aaron, who represent then the priests, the religious leaders in Israel. And he talks about all who fear the Lord with their heart. He says to all of Israel, he says, you are to trust in the Lord. And why? Why should we trust in the Lord? Why should they trust in the Lord? Why? because our God is in the heavens, he says, and does whatever pleases him. You see, what that shows us is our greatest comfort is that our God is completely independent from from us. And that means that we are utterly dependent upon Him. We're not like the people of this world who are who are left trying to figure out, uh, in our, trying to figure out our life, in, in a sea of fickle gods. We're trying to figure out our life by maybe going to um, magical forces or looking at superstition. We don't try to figure out life in our. In our own strength, and we don't try to figure out our life in the terms of, of material things or of earthly things. No, our God, beloved, is a gracious and he is a dependable God. And he has revealed to us his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Remember that phrase in verse 3 he does whatever pleases him. In the very first place, God is independent of us human beings. Psalm says God decides for himself everything that he will do. So we don't have a God who decides that, you no, know, maybe we should take a poll. Poll to see what mankind wants. No, God is God Himself determines that which we need. God does not come that He might fulfill your and my desires. Beloved, He comes that He that He might give to us what you and I what we, we need. When God makes those decisions for us. Also understand this. That our God is not an arbitrary God. He's not a God who seeks his own pleasures. Remember what we read in verse 1. Verse 1 speaks about God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. And we talk about God's love. God's love is a sacrificial love. That means that God gives himself to fallen humanity have turned against him and who have even hated him with their own hearts. Understand this, beloved, that God did not need anything from us. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in the beginning, he could have let uh, all of mankind perish in our misery because God didn't need us. But what happens? God's heart went out to us in his compassion. He saw the misery into which mankind had plunged themselves, and he saw that our greatest need was that we needed to be rescued from the very idols of our own heart. He saw how we had become as dead as the idols we serve are dead. And when you experience the love of God in your life, beloved, that love of God is going to change your life, change your life Forever. You see, it's only through God that you can even begin to understand what love really is. Let me use a human analogy to try to understand what is happening in our relationship with, with God. It's, human analogy is never perfect because there are all kinds of exceptions uh, to the rule. But think of it in terms. When, when a young man and a woman, when they get to know each other, and they begin to love each other. And then there also comes a time when they desire to, to get married And the reason that they they want to get married is because they have experienced the love of their partner. A young couple now wants to live the rest of their life in the love of their spouse. And what is that love? That love is a self sacrificial love, it's a love that wants to serve the spouse. Now, of course, here, this is where the analogy sometimes breaks down, because it's not always necessarily the case. But where there is true love, there is indeed that sacrificial desire uh, to serve one another. But when after they get married, there comes a point where the relationship turns sour. What's happened to the marriage relationship? Well, beloved, what's happened is love for each other has now turned to self-love. When a marriage goes wrong, It's because one or both spouses are looking out only for their own needs. And you know that there's no relationship that can survive when our attention is turned inward at ourselves and we become very selfish. But when God God enters into a relationship with us, then his love is a steadfast love that is always faithful, a love that you can always trust. The very reason why we are commanded to trust the Lord. Right? We believe that God will always love us. We know that God's love will never turn into self-love. In which God cares more about himself than he does about us. It never happened. Because that goes against the very nature of who God is. But beloved, when we as God's people, when our hearts turn to idolatry, then we no longer desire to serve the Lord. We no longer trust the Lord God with our hearts. Why? Because we want God to serve my own sinful desires. And I can't trust God to always fulfill my desires. Because God doesn't always do that, does he? Beloved, that's also the reason why the world today accuses Christians of being the most hateful people on the face of the earth. Why? Why? Because we insist that our only hope rests in the Lord our God. Because he's a God who loves us with his whole being. If God loves me enough to pay for all of my sins through his son Jesus Christ. If God loves me enough that he wants to give me this glorious hope for the future through the saving work of the Lord Jesus then my response, and the only response that is proper, is to love the Lord God with my whole heart and with my whole life. But if I turn to self-love, in which my desires and my wants becomes the most important thing in my life, the result is that I will hate the Lord God, and I will hate the Lord God with a passion. Right? In my whole life is wrapped up in my own desires and my own wants, then God's love will feel oppressive to me and pushes me down. How can I trust God when in my heart I want something different from what God gives me? If I want to choose the way that I want to live, then God's love becomes a terrible irritant in my life. Yet on the other hand, beloved, when you begin to recognize that that God sees my deepest need, that God cares more about me than he cares even about himself, that he's willing to give his very own son for me. Then I also believe that my God is a God who will always be my help and my shield. Then I experience also there in the depth of my heart the greatest relief and the greatest comfort and the greatest joy. Yes, the heathen, that they may mock the Lord my God, but here in my heart I rejoice that the Lord is my help and that he is my shield. I trust that my whole life is safe and secure in the hands of my God. I know that the Lord God is faithful and he's steadfast in his love and he will always be there not to give me what I want, but he's always there to give me what I need because he knows what I need. Therefore, I'm also confident that my God is a God who will bless me. The psalmist says in verse 12, he says, The Lord remembers us and will bless us. You may remember that in the history of Israel, whenever the Lord God withdrew his blessings from the people because of their disobedience, then at a certain point, the people of Israel They would realize what they had done, and they would fall on their knees, and they would turn back to the Lord God, and they would cry out to the Lord, Lord God. These words, God, remember us. Remember us. Those words, to remember us, is a call for God to turn his attention back again to his people. Well, beloved, the only time that God turns away from us is when we reject his love for us in Christ Jesus Right, the greatest comfort is that when we cry out to the Lord God in faith, then the Lord remembers us. He remembers us, it means that he, he knows us. And in his love, he will come and he will again, he will bless us. And blessings, blessings are always related to God's promises. When God gives a blessing, a blessing is a promise in which he says, I will give you all that which you need. And now when we look back over the past year and we look forward to the new year, we see his blessings in the past and we look forward to him giving his blessings to us also in the future. But when we talk about God's blessings, beloved, that God's blessings, blessings should never be confused with what many preachers are doing today is preaching what we call the prosperity gospel. When we say that God will bless us in the new year, God does not promise, beloved, that he's going to make you rich. He doesn't promise you he's going to give you a boatload of money this year. He doesn't even promise you that he's going to give you everything that you desire and everything that you want. In fact, I'd say this. If God were to give you all the things you want and give you all the things you pray for, more often than not, it would simply become a curse for you because it will pull you away from what is truly important for us, and that is your dependence upon God, as if now you don't need God anymore. And when we now expect God now to come, also in this new year, to bless us, we need to keep something in mind here, and that is God's blessings are always connected to his covenant promises. Notice verse 14. The psalmist says, The blessings of God are connected to causing you to flourish, both you and your children. In those words, the psalmist goes back again to the blessings God gave in the very beginning to Eve. Where God said to Eve, I will give you a, a child, a seed, who will come and who will destroy the seed of the serpent, and he will come and he will save you. Or the promise that he gave to Abraham, where he said to Abraham, I will give you many children, as many as the stars in the sky. Or the promise he gives to, to David, when he says that to David, I will give you a son, and he will sit on your throne forever. You see, beloved, the point here is not just having children. It wasn't just a matter of the greatest blessing is that we have lots of children. No, that is a blessing, but that's not really the point of this blessing. The promise of the children is a promise of God that he will send the Savior. And so to be blessed by God, then, is, is not that we might somehow become rich materially. It's not to have everything that my heart desires. But, beloved, the blessing that we seek from God is that we may become rich in Christ Jesus, that we may live in the security that the Lord will be my God, that I will always be his child, that I will forever live secure in the everlasting love and faithfulness of my God. If God remembers me, and if God is faithful to me for the sake of Jesus Christ, his Son, then I know that he will bless me also in this new year. Oh, he may not give me everything that I want, but he will give me everything that I need that I may serve him as his child. He may not make me rich in earthly terms, but he will make me rich in spiritual terms. When he gives to me my daily food and drink, I will be grateful for the whole earth now is mine for the sake of Christ. I don't need to long for the earthly and for the material riches. Why not? Because in Christ Jesus, I have a great inheritance that awaits me in the kingdom of God here on the new earth. And therefore, beloved, may then also, when you're going forward in this new year, may you then also in your life, may you flourish in the love for the Lord your God. So that at the end, the psalmist then also may say, that we are to praise the Lord God. And as we enter to the new year, may we then praise the Lord as our God. Verse 14, it says that the heavens belong to the Lord. Right there, he is seated in power over the universe. What has God done? God has given the earth to mankind, to the children of man. He has given us the earth, beloved, as our possession. And the question is, so what are we to do here on this earth? And the psalmist makes this point. He says, we are to give praise to the Lord God who dwells and who lives in the heavens. Verse 17 says, it is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence that is down to the grave. Now, this verse uh, has often confused many, many people. Many people look at it as uh, as the psalmist talking about what's going to happen after we die. But the psalmist is not talking about what happens after after we die. We know in the book of Revelation, for example, that when we die, our souls goes to be with the Lord God in heaven, and then we will praise him uh, with all the redeemed from the Old Testament and up to the present time in the New Testament. Now, the point of the psalmist is that our greatest joy and our greatest task here on this earth today is that we may praise the Lord our God. And to praise God, beloved, is to express your great joy and adoration for the Almighty. So that over against the pagans and over against the unbelievers who mock God, who sarcastically ask, where is their God? Well, they themselves, they go and they worship their idols that cannot give them life. No, we as God's people, we joyfully express our complete and utter confidence in the Lord, our God. He is the Almighty who dwells there in the heavens. He is the Lord who remembers us. How do you know he remembers us? Because he has given to us the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is the one, beloved, who will bless us all the days of our life. And therefore, also at the beginning of this, of this new year, we may express our joy and we may give praise to our God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us sing of that praise for the words of Psalm 135. This is 1, 9, and 10.